The good news is, thanks to God's forgiveness, sin has no eternal consequences. The bad news is, sin still carries earthly consequences. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines how King David's sin followed him and impacted others before he found redemption in forgiveness. From The Tender Warrior, here's Dr. Jeremiah with the conclusion of his message, David and Bathsheba. And thank you so much for joining us today. This is part two of the story of David and the intrigue with his lover Bathsheba and her husband Uriah and all that went down with that. We'll finish up our discussion of the actual story itself, and uh, we have some more after stories to tell as well. You know, um, this story should be a warning to all of us about the importance of being where we need to be when God calls us. If David had been with his men doing what he was supposed to do, he wouldn't have been caught in this situation which took him down. And always remember that being on duty is an important thing, and doing what God tells you to do when God tells you to do it is really critical. Today, we'll, we'll finish up our discussion of the events themselves. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the scar tissue of sin. There's an idea out there that because God is so gracious, he can make done things undone, but he cannot do that, and he will not do that. He forgives, but he cannot erase. And uh, while you will not be held accountable, there is scar tissue, and you can you can be restored to fellowship. But my experience in watching all of this from far is that people who who get involved in this never return to the place where they were when it happens. They get restored to fellowship, but not restored to influence, and that's a, a very sad thing. So here we go with part two of David and Bathsheba. Open your hearts. This is told in a tender and respectful way, but here's the story. The scripture says that the fall took place through a number of things that transpired. First of all, David initiated the deed. Verse 2 says that it came to pass at eventide that David arose from his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Apparently David went to bed that night planning to stay in bed the whole night and sleep and maybe he was laying there thinking about the war and wondering what was happening on the home front, maybe remembering some of the enjoyment that he had earlier that day and Sleep wouldn't come, and so he decided that he would get up and, and go out for a walk, as it was his custom to do, apparently. And in his palace, which was above all of the other buildings in Jerusalem, there was a beautiful palace walkway around the outside of his home. And he went out that night to walk upon the rooftop. And as he did, as he walked upon the rooftop, he saw a woman. And the Bible says that that triggered the response that took David all that way away from God. Now someone might ask, what in the world was Bathsheba doing taking a bath outdoors at night? But you have to understand that in that particular city, the only building that would have been above the other buildings was the palace itself. I want to give Bathsheba the benefit of the doubt because the word of God does. There is not one word in all of the scripture concerning this event that in any way implicates Bathsheba in this event. 
She was innocently doing what she had perhaps normally done with the walls up around her house and in her courtyard, out in the outside, perhaps very late at night, taking a bath. And David saw her. And he coveted her. And he wanted her. When Nathan finally confronts David about his sin in the 12th chapter, he views this experience in a very interesting way. He tells David a parable, and in the fourth verse of the 12th chapter, in the midst of the parable, he visits David's mind with this image. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the warfaring man that was come unto him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was to come to him. Nathan said he envisions David's temptation like this, that he's out there on the roof of his palace and a traveler comes. And the traveler was in the form of a thought, in the form of a temptation. And the traveler comes and Nathan says he could have met the needs of the traveler in one of two ways. He could have gone to his own flock And he had many in his flock. He had hundreds of women from whom he could have chosen that in his own right belonged to him. But instead of taking one of his own women, he stole the little lamb, which was the only lamb that that man owned. And he took that lamb instead. That's how Nathan pictured what David did. But notice the thought was the traveler. The traveler came and David welcomed the traveler into his life. The second thing that he did was not only did he initiate the deed, but he ignored the question of his servant. I personally believe that in every temptation, there are always a number of ways out if we will just heed them. In fact, the Bible says it that way. There's no temptation that hath taken a man, but such as is common. And God is faithful, who will not suffer us to be tempted above that we are able, but also will, with the temptation, make a way to escape that we might be able to bear up under it. Now, what is the way of escape? In every temptation, there's a way out, if we will just heed it. When David saw the woman and wanted her, He called one of his servants and he said, go get her for me. Now I want you to notice what the servant said to David. Verse 3, and the servant said, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Wait a minute, David, I'll go get her, but don't you know she's a married woman? (laughs) She's got a husband? You want me to go get her for you when she's already married to somebody else? And right then in his mind, David should have thought, huh. Should have brought him up short. This is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. Thank you for reminding me. I can't believe what I was about to do. But David was already caught up in the passion of the moment. And he didn't even respond to his servant's warning. He ignored him. And the result was he implicated Bathsheba in a terrible sin. Verse 4 sums it up very succinctly. David sent messengers, took her. She came in unto him and he lay with her. I've underlined in my Bibles the three verbs that go along with David's action. You can see them there. Verse 2, he saw. Verse 3, he sent. And verse 4, he lay. He saw her, he sent for her, and he lay with her. Just three very simple statements about what happened in a very brief period of time in this man's life, but it was about to change the entire course of his existence. One moment of pleasure And the rest of his life was never the same. And Bathsheba was implicated. As I mentioned already, there is no evidence that she was a part of this or in any way had tried to entice David. 
There is no evidence that she was forced or raped, but there is no evidence that she did anything to encourage it, but she was a subject of the king, and she was helpless before the power of this man. And now she is implicated, and God holds David fully responsible for what happened. Well, as is always true, when there is a fall, there is a fallout. And David has now sinned. Maybe no one will know. Maybe he's going to get by with it. Maybe this is the one time when he has broken the rules and he will not get caught. Everybody who does it believes with all of their heart that they can be the first one to make it happen and not pay the penalty. But according to the fifth verse, David is not going to get off that easy. For the scripture says that the woman conceived that night and she sent a servant to tell David that she was pregnant. Those words, I am pregnant, can be either the happiest words in the whole world or the most devastating words you ever heard in your life. Isn't that interesting? I remember when Donna told me that she was pregnant with our first child, we jumped and danced around and and we were so excited. We had been married for a number of years and no children. When we found out we were going to have a baby, it was the most exciting thing in the world. But some of you have heard those words from a daughter who is unmarried or from a friend who is unmarried and you know that the very words that can bring excitement and joy in the context of God's will can be the most devastating words you ever heard in your life. And that day when David heard that Bathsheba's was child, he was devastated. You see, the Hebrew law required that anyone who was caught in adultery should be stoned. And while it was very improbable that that could ever have happened to the king, David knew if word got out about his liaison with Bathsheba, that it would discredit him before all of his people. And David was very proud of his own reputation. He was loved by the people, and he wanted to keep it that way. So David now has a major problem. He's at a crossroads. And let me say to you that whenever we find ourselves in a situation like this, there will always be a point in time where we make a major decision after the fact as to how we are going to handle it. David has two choices, confess or cover up. Confess was too hard for David. Cover up seemed like the only route. And so he devised a plan. It was a twofold plan, and it basically had to do with Uriah. The first part of the plan was to deceive him. He sent word to the battlefield, and he had Uriah brought back home. Uriah, of course, was Bathsheba's husband, and he was out there fighting with the fighting men. And when he got back home, David tried to deceive him. We are told in verse 7 that when Uriah was come unto David, David asked him how Joab did, how the people did, how the war prospered. And David really could care less about any of those things. That was all small talk to get down to the main issue. And David said to Uriah, go down to thy house, wash thy feet. And now let me tell you what David was trying to do. He was trying to get Uriah to spend the night with Bathsheba so that when the baby was born, they would not be able to trace the child to David's relationship with this woman. But if Uriah spent a night with Bathsheba during this particular time, everybody would normally and naturally assume that the baby that was in Bathsheba's womb was the child of Uriah. So he was trying to deceive Uriah into going down to his house and spending a night with his wife. 
Now watch what happened. Verse 8, David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house, wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. In other words, not only had David sent him out of the house, but he sent a meal from the king's kitchen. He, he put up this great sumptuous meal, and he said, send this with him too. You see what he's trying to do? He's trying to set Uriah up to have a wonderful night at home with his wife, wonderful food from the king's kitchen. But Uriah is more noble than David. And the scripture says that Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and he wouldn't go down to his own house. And when David heard that Uriah hadn't gone down to his house, he called him in the next day, and he said, Uriah, what is this? What are you doing? And I can't help but think what must have been going through David's heart when Uriah gave him this answer. He must have been smitten with guilt. Can you imagine? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. I can't go down to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife as thy soul livest and as my soul livest. I will not do this thing. Do you hear what? Do you see the nobility in this man? There's nothing that makes you more miserable than to be in sin and be confronted by somebody who is righteous. You know, it just makes you miserable. You can live with the sinners around you, but if you run into somebody who's righteous, it just totally destroys you. What Uriah said was this, listen, the ark of God is down there and all the people are down there and Joab, the general's down there and they're all living in tents and they're fighting the Lord's battles and I've come back here to give you a report, David, but I am not going to go down and live even one night in the comfort and the love of my wife while these men are out there fighting the war. That wouldn't be right. I'll sleep here with the servants and tomorrow I'll go back and be with them. Well, David wasn't through and uh, we read on. David said to Uriah, verse 12, Tarry here, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and on the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even, when he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he went not down to his house. David's second thought was, I'll get the guy stone drunk. And he'll be so drunk that he will just normally and naturally stagger home. And he'll be received by his wife, and they will spend the night together, and nobody will ever know that this child is not his. But David's in for another surprise. Uriah's got more character drunk than David has sober. And Uriah's not going to go home. He stumbles out of the meal, goes out on the porch, and sleeps with the servants again. So David's attempt to cover this thing up through deception is now gone. Now he is going to take the next step. What he can't do in the cover-up by deception, he's going to do by destruction. And this is really a sad day in David's life. Verse 14 tells the story. It came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. File that thought for just a moment. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah to the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. David when he realized that he couldn't deceive Uriah, he took out a letter and he wrote it to Joab, who was the general in charge of military operations out on the field. And in the letter he said, Dear Joab, I know you won't understand this, but there is a very important reason for doing this. Take it from your king. This is a direct order. Put Uriah in the forefront of the battle where the battle rages the hottest Put him with the most valiant men, and just at the moment when the battle is the hottest, tell the men to leave him up there all by himself, so he will surely be killed. Signed, King David. Folded it up, 
and he put it in an envelope, and he asked Uriah to carry his own death message to the forefront. Can you imagine the calluses that are growing over David's heart? I've said to you before, and I say it again, and it's a warning to all of us, because we started out talking about how a lot of good people get into difficulty. There is no limit to the depths of sin we are all capable of once we start to walk away from God. One thing leads to another, and before we know it, we are doing things we would never have dreamed of. And, of course, the record is clear that with cold-blooded deliberation, David pens this note, and Uriah goes back to the battlefront, and Joab follows the instruction. I wonder what Joab thought. Why is David asking me to do his dirty work? Joab did what he did out of a misguided sense of loyalty to his king. Well, Uriah dies. The message comes back. And the Bible says that when Bathsheba heard it, she mourned. But not for very long. Before very long after Uriah's death, David sent for Bathsheba and she moved in and she became his wife. David has sinned and he set in motion a chain of events that are going to be painful. David thought he had covered it up. He couldn't do it by deception, so he did it by destruction. And maybe after it was all over, there was a brief moment of pain for Uriah and his death. But it's interesting that there wasn't too much pain. In fact, when David sent word up to Joab, he told Joab not to feel so bad about it. He said, Joab, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Some people get killed in war. That's how it is. And he thought apparently that he had pulled this thing off and he had, he had gotten away with it. But I want you to see a verse. Look with me at verse 27. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched Bathsheba to his house. She became his wife and she bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Listen, folks, there's no cover up when the person who's watching has got a heavenly vantage point. He can look past all the cover ups we set up in place and see it all. You're not going to fool him. And David covered it up. But he didn't cover it up from God. And the thing that David did broke his fellowship with the Lord. He speaks of that in Psalm 32. I want to give you an assignment. Read Psalm 32 this week and you'll see what David felt during this time. For 12 months he didn't face his sin. And during that time David almost died from inward torture. But not only had he displeased the Lord and broken fellowship with God, but you know what else he did? We can all understand this in our culture today. He set up a bad testimony before the wicked. The world was watching. And I want you to notice what it says in 2 Samuel 12, 14. Nathan is talking to David now. And this is what he said. How be it, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child that is born unto thee shall surely die. Do you hear what he said? He said, David, the thing you did as a leader has caused the world to blaspheme God. Then thirdly, it even changed David himself. I don't understand this, and I don't have time to talk about it much, except to say that what happened to David as the result of this thing was that he became hard. He became belligerent. He was broken in his fellowship with God. 
He had a bad testimony before the world and he became belligerent in his own heart. Do you remember when Nathan came to him and told him the story about the little lamb that was stolen? And he said, David, what should we do with the person who's done that? Now, let me tell you, the law says all you have to do is restore the lamb fourfold. You know what David said? Kill him. Kill him. Whoever's done this, kill him. It is interesting to observe that we are the most intolerant of others in the area of our own personal sin. Isn't that interesting? Nathan was telling David his own story. And when David heard it, he was so incensed, he said, kill that man. It's interesting to me that oftentimes the people that point the fingers in the major news stories are themselves guilty of the very thing they're pointing out in others. It's interesting that you have to be careful about the beginnings of sin, don't you? You can't let Satan get a foot in the door. You can't let him get any advantage because that little advantage he gets can be the beginning of what happens out here that you couldn't believe would ever happen to you. Secondly, there's no security in age. None. David was 50 years old. The hot blood of youth was no longer flowing through his veins, but he had indulged himself for so long, man, he was in midlife and he messed up. Instead of getting to the place where finally you're safe, it seems like when you get to that place, that's when the temptation is the greatest. Perhaps out of the fear of the loss of manhood, perhaps out of a broken dream. I never thought of the relationship of that until this very moment, but that's probably part of it too. David disappointed over his inability to do the one project that he really wanted to do. And in that moment, he was weak. Maybe there is something to this midlife crisis everybody talks about. But I want to share with you the best news of all. David was forgiven. And God restored him. Verse 13 of the 12th chapter, Nathan said, But the Lord hath forgiven you. He forgave you. And I don't want to leave you with this story and all of the guilt that might be a part of this. For some of you who may have been caught in this in the past and say, Boy, it's over. It's done. It's finished. I've really... It's... Listen, could I ask you to do something with me? First uh, Kings chapter 15. Can I tell you how God summarizes up David's life? I read this passage this week and I thought, what a tremendous truth to put it all in perspective. 1 Kings 15, 5. You know how David is evaluated by the Lord? Here it is. David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. He turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Hear me carefully. When God looks at our lives after we have sinned and confessed our sin and been forgiven, he views our sin as an exception. He can say of him, he did everything I asked him to do except in this one matter. Do you know what we do? We take the exception and make it their whole life, don't we? You talk about somebody who's fallen, who's confessed their sin and come back to God. And what is the first thing that comes out of a, oh, yes, I know about that. You know what? He, <laughs> and we talk about their sin. God said, I've forgiven David, and he did everything I asked him to do. There's only just one exception. And I pray today as we end this thing that we not only take the warnings of the word of God seriously, but we learn how to deal with this thing as it happens. When there's genuine repentance, we need to have the view that God has that it's an exception, not the rule. I've always loved that scripture, and I think it creates a great sense of hope to a lot of people who've gotten in trouble, that God sees the whole picture, 
uh, your sin does not become you. Uh, your sin is forgiven, and God sees the whole picture as he did in the life of David. And God used David mightily after this, after he was repentant and forgiven. But tomorrow we're going to talk about the scar tissue of sin. There's two lessons on this, tomorrow and Monday. Uh, next week we're going to deal with David and Absalom. Uh, Thursday and Friday, counting noses and the passing the torch. We, we're getting to the end of David's life here. This has been two months' worth of teaching on Turning Point, and that means there's two study guides and two packages of CDs you can get from Turning Point online, which is davidjeremiah.org, and uh, we hope you will do that. Friends, we are very excited to have you along as we study the Bible. This is Radio Bible Class, really, teaching the Word of God every day on the radio. And you're a part of it, and it means so much to us that you involve yourself with us every time you can. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time right here. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Your notes of encouragement are always a blessing to us. So please write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The God Shot, a devotional focused on God's character by teacher and podcast host Tara Lee Cobble. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also view over 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's sermons on any screen on our Turning Point Plus streaming service for a monthly gift of any amount. Visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Are you struggling with jealous friends, unexpected temptations, or even big battles? These can be difficult to navigate. But Dr. David Jeremiah, through his study on King David in The Tender Warrior, teaches you what you can do when you face these situations. This month, when you give a gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, we'll send you the complete two-part CD album, study guide set, and the God Shot devotional. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. Sometimes we look with envy at the opportunities of others. We think if only we had their opportunity, we would accomplish great things. But our focus should be on where we are. The great English Bible teacher Oswald Chambers once wrote, Never entertain the thought, I'm of no use where I am. 
for you are certainly of no use where you're not. To question your place and your opportunities is to question the God whose plan for your life has put you there. If you want to question anything, ask God this question, how may I best serve you in this place? This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's purpose for where you are on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.